Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Solo Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. And uh, folks, I'm really excited today. I mean, when we talk about the soul of business, um, one of the things that I'm very interested in is where does the idea for business get first planted in somebody's mind? And then how does that get nurtured? How does that get uh, uh, cultivated? And actually, you know, how does it come to fruition? And our, our guest today, uh, Ashish Advani, uh, is the uh, president and CEO of Junior Achievement Worldwide. And I am absolutely thrilled um, because I'm familiar with uh, J.A. and the work that they do. And when I had an opportunity to book him on the show, uh, there wasn't a moment's hesitation. I mean, I just you know, <laughs> reached the computer and pushed send. Yeah, here's an invitation. Let's see what happens. So, uh, Ajish, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Now, go ahead. Um, I'm going to just... yeah. You just prior to uh, you know, going live here, um, Richard Branson's a friend of yours. He funded uh, bought your you know one of your first companies actually, and then Jeff Bezos has also uh, funded some stuff with you. You know both of these guys. They both just got their feet back on on the ground, um, and this this whole notion of aspiration um, is so relevant to what JA is about. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to have you just kind of open that box up a little bit about how you bring aspiration to life in the context of the soul of business, you know, kind of what does that mean? And then, you know, how does that actually play out? Well, I'm happy to, it's a, it's a topic that's so close to my heart, this idea of aspiration and the psychological construct we like to use at J is called self-efficacy, which is sort of a version of self-belief, which is essential for entrepreneurial success. And frankly, given the pace of change and the number of jobs and careers that young people are gonna have in the future, uh, this idea of self-efficacy is gonna become more and more important for all youth and adults, not just for entrepreneurs. Um, and the way you actually create that aspiration and self-efficacy is it comes down to some very specific things you can do when you're young. In fact, you can do it at any age, but doing it when you're young um, is more cost-effective and maybe more impactful because you're still forming your impressions of who you are and who you can become. So what we do at JA is just a few very simple things that help build the sense of aspiration and self-efficacy. One is we connect young people to role models. So you mentioned Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos. These are two, you know, I think, uh, you know, aspirational individuals have achieved so much and they're great role models, particularly for some kids who see themselves um, in that way. However, if you're a young girl in, say, Kenya, or if you're a young boy in, um, in, uh, in Romania, um, you may not see yourself in these role models. 
So introducing Richard Branson, as amazing as he is, to a young girl in Kenya may actually inadvertently discourage her from thinking of herself as capable of being an entrepreneur. So what we do is we find role models who've achieved incredible success, who actually are just like that young girl and introduce her to potentially her future self. And there's this wonderful phrase, right? If you can see it, you can believe it. And I think JA really has found in this concept of self-efficacy, a way to connect young people to role models that actually truly changes their mindset. So that's one thing. I'm gonna tell you a few more, but but um, I'll let you ask a few more questions and I'll weave it in. Yeah, no, I, I, I love yeah, connecting, yeah, connecting me to my future self. I mean, you've, you've taken something that most people talk about, uh, this idea of role model, but more importantly, mentoring. Um, uh, and, and you've given it some relevance uh, in a young, uh, young person's mind that you know, if I can see it, to your point, if I can see it, I can believe it. If I can believe it, then it has a possibility of becoming a reality. And it's that migration from possibility to reality that I'm interested in. Uh, because that's what business ultimately ends up becoming is an idea as a possibility that actually manifests as a reality. Well, it's exactly right. In addition to role models, another core element of self-efficacy is learning by doing. So you don't learn about financial literacy or entrepreneurship or work readiness by reading about it in a book. You learn about it by actually experiencing activities um, and projects that allow you to build those skills. So one of our most famous programs is called the JA Company Program. It's a program I did when I was a kid. And for a lot of young people, it's their first experience actually building a real company and being an entrepreneur. And when you have the title of CEO or chief marketing officer or chief financial officer when you're 13, 14, 15, or 16, the ability to think that you'll do it again in the future goes up. Or put differently, if you haven't done it, at that young age, the chance of you in your 20s and 30s magically believing that you can be a CEO is much harder. Still possible, but much harder. So learning by doing, in addition to role models, are two of the core elements of the self-efficacy. Yeah, that, that, you know, the JA Company program. I, I remember, you know, now I, I never got into it. I never took part in it. But I remember being exposed to it when I was in high school. And, I mean, and that goes back a long way. <laughs> <laughs> just to give them the color of my hair. Um, when, you, know, you came out of Wharton. You also you know, have a background at Oxford. Um, and this formal education, and this is kind of, I'm, I'm moving into you know, the, the, the migration from knowing to doing. Uh, it's one thing to have the intellectual constructs about what a business is and how it operates. You know, as part of your personal journey, yeah, can you talk a little bit about and, and again, this kind of goes back into the idea of the soul of business, keeping connected to that spirit, that joie de vie, if you will, that kind of keeps an organization alive. What was the what was the inflection point or points, if you would, that moved you personally from intellectual construct to practical execution, executable um, programs, if you will, or, or, or uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm struggling on words here, but how, how did you how did you make that migration? Yeah, because I've been working with a lot of MBAs that haven't done that well. You know, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I mean, my journey um, includes a lot of luck and, frankly, privilege. Um, while we didn't have money, I had parents who believed, you know, um, deeply in the, in the value of education. And they went into debt to sort of fund my brother and, and, and my education, which you know, I think gave us lots of opportunities. Having said that, 
it, it really, I think entrepreneurial success is not about that education. It's about the self-belief that comes from being part of certain communities and having certain experiences. So for me, I think the real leap came actually much earlier than these schools that I went to. It came in high school when I was exposed to um, some mentors who basically told me that I would be a successful entrepreneur one day. And when you hear that enough times, in fact, that's the third core element of self-efficacy, just to tie it again to the framework, is the, the fact when you hear people give you positive feedback, it changes your own mindset and your own ability to believe in, in your own success. So surrounding yourself with people who give you that positive input and positive um, encouragement is so essential. And for me, it happened actually in high school, which preceded you know, some of the schools I went to for, for, for undergraduate and for graduate school. And then after graduate school, I sort of had enough of that confidence already built up that for me, it felt very safe and easy to not take the high paid job and to actually build my own business. Um, and I did that in my, in my late 20s. And then I got really, you know, once again, very lucky that Richard Branson's team at Virgin called me, you know, one day out of the blue and said, we're interested in this industry. We're interested in you. Let's talk. Um, and I truly believe that you can trace all of that back to the days in my teenage years when people told me that, hey, you have the potential to be a successful entrepreneur. So, you know, for all your listeners, please, when you see a young person who has potential, tell them so. Don't just keep it to yourself. Those simple words of encouragement are worth more, worth more than so much of the education that they'll get in formal environments. You know, I, I love that. You know, there's... Who was it? Uh, it wasn't Brian Tracy. Uh, uh, now, I'm, oh, uh, Kenny. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll move. Ken Blanchard. Um, feedback is the breakfast of champions. Um, and you know, I love that quote from him. Yeah, you know, he and I shared a stage together in Copenhagen years ago, and I remember him saying that very specifically. Um, but you know, to your point here, I mean, what you're talking about in part is inculcating and developing a mindset of success. And um, I remember, you know, some conversations I had with Warren Bennis years ago, and Warren's gone now, but I remember talking with him about the power of appreciation. And yeah, for, you know, in his perspective, from his perspective, he said that appreciation is probably the single most underused tool that a leader has in an organization, particularly in business. And I yeah. agree. I completely agree. You know, I like to say that gratitude is a renewable resource. So you will never run out of the ability to share appreciation and gratitude with people. Um, in fact, that the fourth element of self-efficacy, Blaine, you're teeing this up perfectly. I couldn't have asked for a better um, you know, way to keep the framework. The fourth trained professional, train professional, don't try this at home. The fourth and last element of this framework, which was developed by the Stanford professor who came up with, with the concept of self-efficacy is, um, is optimism. And optimism is created by gratitude. So you can become a more optimistic person. You can learn to be optimistic uh, by being grateful for all the things that happen in your life and not just usually one or two things, but actually converting when you go to three and four things, the neutral and negative things into positives. That's the muscle you need to build. So even when stuff goes wrong, you're grateful to just have a loving family and be alive. So that allows you to truly take any obstacle in your way and make it into something which is a building block for your future success, which is the thing that actually propels entrepreneurs to be resilient and get through the tough times.
you know, I, I'm fond of saying something that kind of, when people hear it, it kind of, you know, plays with their brain a little bit here. It's already happened. I just haven't arrived yet. And for me as, as an entrepreneur, I mean, this is something that is, is almost liturgical. I mean, it's just, uh, uh, you just have to believe it. And, and I'm, not, I'm tying this back into the notion of gratitude. Um, gratitude isn't an abstraction. You know, I, I'm, I truly experience gratitude in the presence of what I experience myself having. And, 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 and this, this kind of moves outside of the temporal domain, you know, time and space in one sense. When I'm talking about it's already happened, I just haven't arrived, I'm grateful for the fact that it's already happened. And that gratitude yeah, actually uh, invigorates me because and it allows me to handle a lot of obstacles that come up in the natural course of just living my life and, and running the business. I'm grateful for the fact that it's already happened. Now, yeah, the devil's in the details. I've got to make sure that you know, everything gets crossed and you know, the eyes get dotted and whatnot to manifest it. In your programs, how do, how do you work with that optimism? Because you know, there's two pieces there. One is optimism, and the other one is that mindset of, uh, of uh, success. Yeah, and success is predicated on you know, believing that it's already happened, that I can do it, that I did do it. How, how do you marry those two in that program? Well, one thing we do is we involve the alumni of our programs to come back and continue to be role models and help. So JA um, historically has reached so many people who've gone on to success that um, we've been working hard in the last few years to actually build our global alumni network to allow people to feel that when they've gone through JA, it's not like going through like a simple little program you did but you actually come out and you graduate and have a moment where you feel you've actually finished something, which allows you to have affinity to it. A bit like universities have done so successfully. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one way we create this sense of optimism and belief is we connect people who've actually achieved success with the young people who are doing the program now. It's just this wonderful virtuous circle um, yeah. that we've started to become better at, frankly, in connecting. Now, you've got a, a program that you're launching, and we're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. I mean, it's not in the U.S. right now, but you've launched it globally at this point in time, and it's the micro-credentialing for high school kids. And, you know, when you first mentioned that to me, it was kind of like, you know, I get that because classical education today isn't what we need, you know, I mean, truly, in a, in a global economy. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about two things, you know, one, why, where you saw the opportunity to, you know, to bring this to life and two, how's it going? I mean, what, what you know, what are the, the things, the barriers that you're running into and the, the successes that you're having with it? Yeah, sure. Um, this is a very exciting program. It started actually uh, in Europe. So my colleagues who run JA Europe started this uh, a few years ago and it was very successful. It was funded by the European Union to bring entrepreneurship skills to high school kids in Europe. And we realized in order to measure the impact of our programs there, we needed to have some sort of an assessment prior to the program and after the program. But we wanted to do it in a way that was not a burden for the students. We wanted to do it in a way that showed the students not only what they've learned, but a credential that could broadcast to others what they've learned. And so we we built this around J company program, which, which in Europe reaches, you know, several hundred thousand kids a year. And what we learned is the youth who went through it really wanted this credential to tell uh, employers 
and um, people who'd hire them for internships and universities and other post high school experiences, that they had these important cognitive skills, these soft skills that are important for the future of work. So because it was started working in Europe, we started to spread it to other parts of the world. So the Middle East raised their hand and said, we want this too. And then Africa raised their hand and said, we want this too. And, and at least within JA, we realized there was real um, value in what had been created by Europe. So it's just a matter of time before it comes to the United States. Yeah. Um, I, I think I wanna start by really thanking all the teachers who've been working so hard with us in all these countries to introduce this credential, because it is such a new thing, to convince um, the educational establishment to give micro-credentials to kids, as opposed to say a badge or something which is maybe not as impactful, mm -hmm. it's a journey. And one way we've sort of accelerated that journey is we've really partnered with teachers. So in fact, next year we're putting on a big you know, event for teachers to tell them more about this all over the world. And I guess during this pandemic in particular, I really think teachers have gone underappreciated. The amount of work they've had to do to pivot and change. I mean, they've all become like little entrepreneurs and have to be resilient. I mean, it's crazy. And um, so huge gratitude there. And I see one day in North America, both US and Canada, us introducing this credential in the right way at the right time where it's welcomed by the educational establishment, not rejected by them. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you raised that. Yeah, because, you know, in my experience with the educational environment and the educational system, it is status quo oriented. Um, it's hard to get change, <laughs> meaningful change. Uh, well, necessity yeah. is the mother of invention, Blaine. So I think in the last year, we've just had to change. Everybody's had to change. And teachers have been really resilient and shown they can. They have. And, you know, the, the idea of change, you know, the, the, the difficulty with change isn't the change itself, because most people can understand that, you know, the, you know, the business case, the value of change, if it's positioned well, it's the disruption to existing relationships that people have, that the change causes, that that's, that becomes the problem. Yeah. To kind of, who am I? Where do I belong? Uh, you know, all of those sorts of questions get really challenged. Uh, when we come back, I want to take a brief break here, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about, because you'd mentioned impact, you know, doing an assessment um, you know, that was designed, how are, you know, how, what kind of impact are we having? I want to unbundle that a little bit within the context of compassionate capitalism and in the conscious capitalism movement. I'm going to you know, be a kind of a two-headed fork here. So we'll take a brief break and we'll be uh, right back with Ajish Advani. Uh, President and CEO of Junior Achievement. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection 
to the soul of business. That's what we look at. That's what we're about in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind Program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. Um, before we took a break, uh, I was talking with Ashish about uh, coming to focus a little bit on this question of impact that he had referenced around the micro-credentialing. And I want to put it in the framework of, for me, the soul of business that I pay a lot of attention to, which is around uh, how we redefine what capitalism is and how capitalism is actually executed around the world, um, either conscious capitalism or compassionate capitalism. So when, when you're looking at impact uh, with this micro-credentialing and when you're actually just looking at impact uh, as a consequence of people's participation, kids' participation in JA, what is it that you're really paying attention to? What kind of impact are you assessing? Well, we measure impact in multiple ways. Um, the, the simplest way is to look at um, the, the mindset and activities and behaviors and attitudes of the youth we serve both before and after the program. So that, I'll call that short-term impact. It's yeah. very measurable. There's standard formats for doing it um, and collecting the data and, and, and scaling it. Um, a more nuanced way to measure impact is called predictive analytics, where you take these pre and post studies you do and you focus on very specific skills that have been shown to be important for the future of work. So you're not just measuring pre and post about, say, staying in school or graduation, which are important, but maybe not sufficient, but you're also measuring the impact of, was there an improvement in, in communication skills? Was there an improvement in self-efficacy? Was there an improvement in, 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 in financial behaviors and information about savings and knowing that you know, having a job will actually help you save money, particularly for young kids, for example? Um, so that's, yeah, exactly. So those are things which are predictive analytics. And then a third way to measure impact is called alumni retrospective studies, where we look at our alumni and we say, did these uh, people who went through our programs, did they actually have better outcomes in a control group? Um, the challenge, of course, is to do that honestly and do it well. There's so many other factors that go into somebody's life that is sort of independent of just one program. So you can't really claim direct causality. So I think it's important to do those studies, but I don't think they're sufficient. Uh, and I think you should approach it with humility and modesty about the impact of your programs relative to everything else that happens in somebody's life. We do have lots of data though. I mean, we are a data-driven organization um, that shows that you know, our programs do lead to improvements um, in employability, improvements in the likelihood to start a business, improvements in business success, improvements in savings rates, um, and we show that kind of using all three methodologies. You know, one of the ways that I've come to talk about business you know, with you know, a lot of the entrepreneurs that I work with is, first of all, you know, getting clear about, you know, what do you think the purpose of your business is? You know, we'll just start with some basics here. And just as a meta uh, answer to that question, from my perspective, the purpose of business is to uplift and improve the quality of life on the planet. And if, if, if your business is doing that well through the, you know, you, you know, through the offering that you, that you have business or services, uh, product or services, you're probably going to you know, stay in business. So I'm just making an assumption here that, that we're not too divergent on that meta purpose of business, uh, uplift and improve the quality of life on the planet. 
How does that, if it does, come into the conversation at JA? So it's not just a profit-driven conversation, uh, zero-sum notion. And I know it's not. I know it's not. But a lot of kids coming in going, I want to make my money. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. I I think the good news there is I think, frankly, the young people are educating us as opposed to the other way around. Um, particularly high school kids. I mean, I think it's, it's unfair to, to, to put this in elementary kids, but I think in high school, there's already such a movement to bring, for example, sustainability and entrepreneurship together. Um, about 70%, probably more than 70% now, because I've been saying 70% for the last few years, of the businesses created by high school kids around the JA network have some sustainability component to them. If you were to contrast that to a couple of decades ago, there's no way it would have been even north of 25%. So that just gives you a sense that some of this is happening on its own beyond the incentives and goals and awards that we create to make it happen. Having said that, I'll say one more thing, which will be really relevant to your listeners. You know, we have over 8,000 board members around the JA network. It's an astounding number. And many of these um, great sort of supportive individuals who wanna give back, who join our boards, they already have um, realized that one reason they're doing this is because of compassionate capitalism. They believe that business is a force for social good. So when the entire governance of the organization believes that, and you see the young people, frankly, ahead of the curve on this, I'm very optimistic that you know, a business in 15 to 20 years will be even more compassionate. And the idea of conscious capitalism will feel mainstream and not on the fringe at all. Yeah, I, I, I love hearing that. I absolutely, yeah, you know, I mean, my, you know, yeah, anecdotal conversations I've had with, yeah, my grandkids and, and just observationally with young entrepreneurs in their 20s that I work with, um, you know, by and large, the social impact is, if not one of the chief drivers, it is certainly in a passenger seat, uh, yeah, in, in the decisions that they're making. Um where do you see JA going uh, next? Because I mean, you've been around uh, uh, decades, and you've been in position for six years now. Here, what's your aspiration for JA? Uh, you know, near term and longer term. Uh, uh, Blaine, nobody has ever said in any interview you've been around for decades. You are the first person, Blaine, who's made me feel like I've been around for for, for decades. In my head, I'm still like 25 years old. So. Thank you for doing that. Jay's been around for decades. Oh, oh, okay, sorry. Jay's been around for decades. That makes me feel better. I was like, wow, man, it's over now. It's over. I've been around for decades. Um, All right. So, uh, yeah. So to answer your question about JA and the vision for the organization, I mean, we have a very clear goal at the organization to inspire and prepare young people for a global economy. That is our mission. How we accomplish that continues to change fundamentally. So the global economy of the future is going to be one where where the average young person who's graduating is going to have at least 20 jobs on average and at least seven careers. Just think about what that means for a second. At least seven careers, which means a young person is going to have to change what they believe they're good at several times over the course of their life. And with over 20 jobs on average, at least some of those are gonna be involuntary transitions. So yeah. the idea of getting fired is gonna to have to be mainstream because otherwise everyone's gonna be depressed all the time. So the idea <laughs> of us being able to have that level of resilience and self-efficacy 
is going to become more and more important. And for all the parents who are listening or the aunts and uncles who are listening and thinking of nephews and nieces and kids, please give some thought to how you're building that resilience muscle, because it's going to take that level of um, determination to get through all of the upheaval of the future. Um, and, you know, JA's mission is evolving to be able to make that happen. Our programs are evolving in order to ensure that the kids that we serve will be successful in the future global economy. Um, so that's, I was the first answer. More concretely, though, you know, we've invested a lot, Blaine, in building this alumni network of our organization. And, you know, a few years ago, it really wasn't something which was emphasized uh, because I believe it's one of the hidden assets of JA. And thanks to many of my great colleagues across this organization, we're now uh, building an online community of alumni. So for example, if you're a person who went through JA and you're listening, we actually have a website uh, called Gather, um, which brings you all together. So if you go to jworldwide.org and click on alumni, you can get to Gather and it includes an app and includes all sorts of benefits for being sort of coming back to the fold and being able to give back to young people um, with your time or your talent. Um, so I really encourage your listeners to sort of be part of this movement because it truly is so fulfilling to be part of the organization. I speak as somebody who went through it and is now back. Uh, the satisfaction you get from being on a board or speaking about your life story to young people or mentoring a young person, it fundamentally changes a life and it brings so much satisfaction to you as well. Yeah, I, I, uh, Ajish, I love that. I, I, that. That's one of the best answers I've had uh, come back at me when I've asked that future-based question. I, I love this. Yeah, I, I think it was Kierkegaard that said, uh, you know, the fact that a baby is born means that God hasn't given up on the human race. Uh, I mean, truly, our, our, our children are our future. And and business is the, the lingua franca of society. You know, everything is transacted through business in some way, shape, or form. So this is the sweet spot. And I love what JA is up to. Um, where can people find out more about JA? You mentioned it in passing. I want to make sure we lock that in. It's well, JA. Explain, no. Yeah. So jaworldwide.org. Um, you can also go to juniorachievement.org. Um, our, our, our U.S. affiliate called JAUSA has great resources to connect to your local J entity in the U.S. We at J Worldwide also uh, support you know, all the JAs in over 115 countries. So if you are listening outside the U.S., you have a chance to get to those countries through our website. And of course, if you're listening in the U.S., uh, you can go right to juniorachievement.org. I love it. Folks, we've been listening to um, the president and CEO of uh, Junior Achievement Worldwide, Ajish Advani. Ajish, uh, uh, I, I could go on forever with this. I really could. I love this conversation. And I promised to ask you one closing question, uh, and I will just because I promised to ask it. Uh, how are you leaving it better than you found it? Well, um, uh, you know, I've tried my best over the course of this interview to mention a few projects that I'm particularly proud of. But I will say that this has been an incredible team effort for us at JAA. So while I've only been at the organization for just over five, well, I guess just over six years now, um, many of my colleagues have started projects that are now coming to fruition. And I get to, you know, be here and be the leader um, and the steward of the organization sort of during my tenure where they've come to fruition. But I guess in brief, what, what will make me feel really happy about my time and tenure at the organization whenever I leave in the future will truly believe that 
It will truly be the self-belief that young people have garnered as a result of going through more and more of our, of, of our program. So we now reach well over 10 million young people all over the world per year. Our alumni network is well over 120 million kind of all over the world. This alumni community that we've invested in building is one thing which I, you know, I feel very proud of uh, that's happened during my tenure. Um, and you know, I think this, this, this micro-credential that started in Europe that we're globalizing, I really do hope and pray that it reaches more and more young kids in every country in the world, because as high school education becomes a place where um, broadcasting what you've done to not only universities and colleges becomes important, but also to all the other people that you're going to have to over time, you know, impress and work with. This idea of credentials is going to go from, you know, adults to college kids to high school kids. And I think Jay is really first to market to make it happen. So that's my short answer to your very complicated question, which made me very reflective, Blaine. So thank you. <laughs> my pleasure. Folks, again, uh, Ajish Advani, CEO of Junior Achievement Worldwide, JA Worldwide. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. I am your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, you can find out more about what I'm up to at blainebartlett.com. And until we connect next time, have a great rest of your week, folks. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.